So I've been kind of wondering and thinking a lot about how many of us are familiar with the topic of revival. Like, you know, that word means different things to different people. Um, You know, I grew up in a church environment where revival was generally something that like happened to a church. Um, You know, like, so if a church experienced revival, it was like God showed up and crazy things happened and people were healed and And then when I was, um, I think I'd been a senior pastor of a church for maybe three or four years, this Baptist church in Chicago asked me to come and preach at their annual revival services. And I was like, oh, okay, you schedule them? You can just schedule a revival? Like, that's cool. And and I went down and and preached for a week, and their understanding of revival at this Baptist church was essentially, hey, once a year, we're going to have a space where you can invite all of your unchristian, non-church friends, and they're going to come to this church, and they're going to hear the gospel, and and then if people come to faith, they they will have revival. And so the word revival means different things to different people. Um, in our church community, in our tradition of being kind of this charismatic, evangelical uh, community, I think it means different things for different people because of the different influences we have. But I grew up going to a church where um, if if God was at work somewhere, it would be very common to get in a van and drive hundreds and hundreds of miles to go and to experience it. So when I was 16 years old, there was this huge, there were actually two huge revivals going on in the world. There was one in Toronto, Canada, which was connected to the vineyard. And then there was one down in Pensacola, Florida. And the Pensacola, Florida one was connected to the denomination of the church I was going to at the time, the Assemblies of God. And so our youth group decided to go down there, and we actually raised all this money, and there was like 50 teenagers that got together, and we rode in one of those big coach buses. And I decided to go not because I was really longing for the power and presence of God, but because this girl was going. I was like, I got to go, and I got to see about this girl. And drove down there, and, you know, it was pretty, pretty, um, pretty massive. I mean, there were thousands of people there. And we actually woke up at like 5 in the morning to go stand in line from 6 a.m. until 5 when they would open up the doors and then thousands of people would go in. And the things that were being reported um, at this revival were, A, thousands of people were becoming Christians at it. Like every single night they did a presentation of the gospel and people would come forward to become Christians. And then um, people were... Um, being healed from chronic illnesses and, and major things. And, and there were just a lot of really powerful, quote-unquote, things happening. And, and I remember um, being there and seeing some things that I hadn't seen before. Um, you know, like I, I remember in the, in the line when we were just waiting, there was this group of people praying for somebody in a wheelchair, and this person got up and started walking, and it was like everybody was crying and weeping, and I was like, whoa. What was that? And I was like 16 years old, so I was like trying to figure out how they were faking this stuff. And at the same time, too, like I saw things with my own eyes that I was like, okay, this this is pretty crazy. And I think it was on the I think it was on the first night. So I'm 16 years old. I've been in church pretty much my whole life. And the first night, I remember um, I was in like the second or third row in the front, and in this room with thousands of people. And in, in that moment, I remember feeling or sensing the presence of God, like, for the first time for me. Like, I knew that 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 God was real. And it was really interesting because, like, the presence of God in that moment was very tangible. Like, I could, I, 
feel it. I could sense it. And, and it was really interesting because I felt like God was very near and in, in, in close in proximity and presence. And I sensed like God as a being of love. I could, I could sense that. But at the same time too, I felt like in that moment, I was the smallest creature in the entire universe because I, it's like God was so big. And I remember these, these two feelings and I was standing there and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what people talk about. Because I grew up all the time hearing about the presence of God and when God, God's kingdom would come and how you could, you could sense his presence and you could feel it. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I get it now. I, I get it. I have a sense of that. And so I saw, I saw people healed that week. Um, I, some of you have heard the story. I mean, I had a friend who, um, who was like pretty much just a gangbanger. We were really good friends. He was a gangbanger and he went on this trip too because there was this girl. And I remember like the third or fourth night we were in the balcony and he was not interested in any of this church stuff. Like he just was on this trip because it was a youth group trip. And and that that third night, the preacher shared the gospel for the first time that he had heard. And um, my friend, I was sitting up top and they gave an invitation for people to respond and to come to a place of following Jesus. And my friend ran down the stairs to go up front. And I was like, whoa. What's that about? And then we, that night, talked, and he, he told me the story. And this, this friend of mine who um, had grown up in, in gangs his whole life in Salt Lake City and had, you know, didn't have a father and had lived the worst life possible, I mean, sold drugs and all these crazy things, um, he told me that, that night that he had never felt loved by anybody in his whole entire life. And that evening, he felt the love of God. He sensed it, and he had to respond to it. And so there was all this stuff happening on this trip. And I remember I was 16 years old and I was starting to ask some theological questions. Like I had previous to that moment, mostly my faith was like, I would see other people's faith and I would see things happening to other people. And I'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Hasn't really happened to me though. And this was the first time that I was like, okay, there's some truth to some of this crazy stuff. Like my mom and dad aren't totally crazy. And, and people who I've been around in church, they're not, all, they're not all weirdos. And if they are, they're okay weirdos. And so I started to ask a lot of questions about God's presence and the Holy Spirit. And some of the questions that I started to wrestle with was, was I started to wonder if, if revival is simply something that happens if we do certain things. Like, do we have to, like, you know, shout louder? Do we have to clap louder? Do we have to sing the right songs? Do we have to like be perfect and not ever do anything wrong? And then God will show up and we can have revival. Or I was curious if, is this also a, a, a move of God to where, where it happens and God sovereignly decides to show up? I was really starting to wrestle with a lot of these questions. And, and I guess, you know, growing up in churches where there was a lot of, a lot of um, extroverted expressions of worship, I was really wrestling with, is it possible to be an introvert? I guess that's, that's really what it was. Is it possible to be somebody who actually uh, maybe doesn't respond in some of those really, really um, expressive ways? You know, do we have to make the Holy Spirit show up or does the Holy Spirit show up based off of his own sovereign will? And, and a lot of this gets down to the, the culture of the church I'm talking about. You know, our church, the Vineyard, is a part of a, a vineyard, the Vineyard movement. And there's like 3,500 Vineyard churches. And, 
one of the primary um, leaders was a guy by the name of John Wimber. I don't know if some of you have heard of. But one of the things John Wimber used to do, so John Wimber is this, has this uh, huge healing ministry and prophetic ministry and is very charismatic. What is like, he would say things like he was just a fat man trying to get to heaven. He was just like a normal dude, right? And um, I remember watching these videos of him where like the Holy Spirit would show up in a tangible way. Like I think if you did a, a poll in the room, like 95% of the room would be like, something's happening. There's something happening. And, and he would see what was happening because people would start to get like super spiritual, you know? And then he would say things like, all right, we're going to take a pause right here and we're going to take a chip break. I need to eat some chips. And then he would have them turn on the lights. And the reason why he would do that is because he would say later on, he was trying to dial things back a little bit because as human beings, we get kind of worked up, right? I know, I know you don't. But you know what I mean? It's like, oh, let's, let's, it's super spiritual. Let's, let's make it more weird, not good. And so he would do these things. And, and so a lot of our, our culture as a church is I think we're trying to dial it, dial it back a little bit and find out what is really God. Like I just feel like churches are so easily becomes full of a bunch of crap, you know, just stuff that's like, oh, it's just annoying. So I, I feel like, you know, we, we really need to think about what it, what it means to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, these questions were on my mind this week because this week I was, I was reading my Bible when I was kind of just meditating on Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is this really interesting passage because it's um, written by David. And more than likely, it's right after David has committed adultery and he's just had a man murdered because that woman that he probably raped, is, uh, is he, she was married. And so she has his husband um, you know, sent off to battle to be killed. And, and it's this really powerful um, psalm because I think he gets confronted with, with the reality of what has happened. And this is what we read. He, he, he writes these words. He says, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's very, very clear that, you know, this isn't a place where this is after David's been confronted and he's, he's in a state of, of repentance and he's being confronted for the sin that he's committed. Um, and we read these words where he's very, very open. And so it's interesting, the psalmist is so dependent. Like as you read the psalm, you see he's so dependent on the, on the presence of God that his prayer and his one desire is that God would not pull his spirit back from him. And so, I mean, I just been, I was thinking about that. Imagine having such a desire for the presence and power of God in your life, that the one prayer that you have at the end of the day is, God, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. Don't pull your presence and your power away from my life. And the good news is that the Bible teaches us that God does not forsake us, does not leave us. But we live in this tension where sometimes it does, we don't feel that. And so this has kind of been on, on my heart is I've been thinking a lot about God's presence because I think God's presence really is something we should be after. I think we should be, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be concerned with being in God's presence. My, my dad has this saying. I remember hearing it when I was a kid and I was like, I don't even know what that means. But he used to always say things, and he still does. He says, you know, where I want to be is I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to be in the center of God's will. I want to experience God's presence on a regular basis. And there's all these books from different theologians that, that get at this, this idea of, of being in the presence of God on a regular basis. Because I remember as a kid, I would hear things like, 
you know, I'd be talking to somebody and they'd be like all super normal. And then they would say, okay, I got to get in the spirit now. I got to be like a Christian now. And then they would do it and be like, oh. And, and I just feel like we need to integrate our faith more. Like what would it look like if we actually regularly sought after and walked in the presence and the power of God? Because I don't, but, I, I, but I'm curious about that. What would it look like? How would it change my life and our lives as a community? In our theology as a vineyard church, it's really centered on this reality. In fact, I think it's true that when, when I think of vineyard churches from my childhood, because I've been in the vineyard for 30 plus years, I think it's true to say that we as, as a community want to see God's kingdom come, and we want to see the Holy Spirit bring healing and guidance and salvation. And, and when we think about why we want that, it's because if we look at the history of the vineyard and we study the, the history of our movement, we will see that our movement has always been committed to that, where we long for God's presence, we long for God's power, we long for God's touch, we long for God's activity, and we really desire God's work to be among us. It's something that we want. And for me, this fascination with the presence of God, it started to blossom then later in life. So I, I start pastoring a church, and I won't go into the story now, but that was like totally, I got tricked into pastoring a church is basically what happened. And, and when, it, when it happened, it was like years later, I was like, what just happened? How did I become a pastor? And, and wrestling with like all these things that I saw in my life, because I saw these inconsistencies and these incongruencies. And then I started dealing with people and I found out that, that I started to really need to, uh, to really understand more about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, because I don't think I really... I really could, re- uh, could really understand some of the tough issues people were facing. Like, for example, um, in the midst of, of living as a normal human being um, and experiencing brokenness in marriage, like how is God present in the middle of, of marriage brokenness? Like when people are going through the worst possible place in their marriage, how is God present? Or is God present? Or where is God present? I mean, Don and I had like the most toxic relationship up until yesterday evening. Just kidding. But real talk. I mean, we've we've gone up and I mean, we are so opposite. Like my wife and I are so opposite. Like, I mean, we we I talk about it all the time. Like the things that she loves, I'm like, oh, I hate those things. And the things I love, she's like, that sounds terrible. And it's it's like marriage. How marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. But what about like chronic sicknesses? People who have chronic sicknesses, you know, or people who are who, are, um, who live with lifelong disabilities. Okay? My youngest sister has Down syndrome and, and wondering how, how does that square up with being a person who is experiencing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. People who, um, I, I have people in our community who have um, had loved ones commit suicide and they want to know how do we square up that with, with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and then, you know, addictions and, and all the things that we as human beings are wrestling with and struggling with. I started to ask some questions. When I was in grad school, I started really thinking about this a bit. And I had a number of questions that I was pondering. And, and I just want to, just for a few minutes here, I want us to think about these. Just to, I think we need to like, we need to prime the pump a little bit. Because these are real questions that people have. You know, when is God present? When is God present in the day-to-day like, I think it's really easy. If, if somebody got healed this morning of some crazy thing, will we all be like, oh, God was so present, right? Like, oh, what a miracle. I'm going to put it on Facebook. But what if 
What if God doesn't do something like that? What if, what if it's just another, another Sunday? It feels like another mundane Sunday. Is God still present? Or, you know, I guess that gets to the question of how is God present? Like for me, now you all know, I think that the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper is one of the most important practices that the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit is at work when we receive communion. But we need to think about other ways that God is present. We also need to ask the question of where is God present? Where is God at work in our community and how can we bless it? I think another question is how is God present when it turned, when it doesn't seem like God is present? How many of you just by a show of hands have had periods of your life where you feel like you are all alone? Like you are just all alone, right? And you're just like, oh, where are you, God? Jesus, you know, feels that way on the cross. You know, he quotes the Psalms and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we're not alone in that. And, and then lastly, this question of where is God when we suffer and grieve? When we suffer and grieve, where is God? So I, I want to spend a little bit of time just for a few minutes here looking at a passage of scripture in the book of Acts. And, and I want to consider the Apostle Paul, because I think a lot of these questions that I just posed, these these like challenging issues, these, these situations where maybe things don't go the way we expected, or maybe they're not going the way that we hope, we plan. And yet I, I really think that we need to take some time to ask whether or not God is actually at work in the midst of those situations. And so this morning I want to talk a bit, of, a bit about healing. Last week we talked about hearing from God. Today I want to talk just for a few minutes here about healing and the Holy Spirit. We've been in this sermon series for the past um, month and a half talking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What are some of the things that the Holy Spirit does? Where can we, where can we be um, partnered with the Holy Spirit? And last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about healing. We are going to do a sermon series in the coming future to dig a little bit more into that. But I, I think we need to always keep in mind that, that God is often present even when things don't seem to go the way that we want and what I mean is specifically when people aren't healed and we pray for them to be healed. We live in this tension of the kingdom, the now and the not yet. And so I think we need to always um, be obedient and pray for, pray for healing and have faith and hope for healing. But we also need to recognize that God can actually be present even when the answer to our questions is not the answer that we want. Okay? The Apostle Paul was this really remarkable human being um, in, in the New Testament so he starts out in, in the book of Acts as he starts out persecuting Christians. I mean, Paul actually is responsible for killing Christians. He hates Christians. He's a, a Hebrew scholar. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's doing everything according to the religious law. And he cannot stand followers of Jesus, and so he's actually persecuting them. And then he goes one day to travel to a city, and on that road to, America, uh, to uh, Damascus, he has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And it changes his entire life. And he goes on to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the majority of the New Testament. He travels all over the known world multiple times. Like if you look at the Roman Empire, he travels around it at least three times that we know of and probably a fourth time all over. And all he's doing is being a missionary, planting churches. Even though there's no trains, planes, and automobiles, he travels thousands and thousands and thousands of miles by foot, by ship, and by by a donkey. So he's planting churches all over. 
But what's interesting is that he suffers immensely the entire time. He's beaten, he's shipwrecked, he's imprisoned, he's, he's stoned. I mean, he is treated like terribly in a lot of different locations and situations. And so I've always thought Paul is a really good example of somebody who's, who's like living in the world, right? Because he's got one foot just planted squarely in, in the kingdom and in the, in the faith and the hope and the, the compel, he's being compelled by love. And then he's also got another foot that's dealing with the reality of living in a fallen world. And he's treated often very unkindly and he's dealing with, with church people. That's why he writes these letters. He has to write church, church's letters telling them to quit being jerk faces all the time, okay? So he's a perfect example for what we're talking about, this tension of the now and the not yet. And so toward the end of Paul's ministry, we, we find him in Acts 28. It's the end of Acts, and he's traveling, and he comes to this island of Malta. And I want to read this last passage just to stimulate our thinking a little bit uh, toward this, this uh, way of life. So this is what we read. Verse 1, once... We were, this is Luke also writing this, but it says, Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, A murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea. Justice will not permit him to live. And so pause, like, again, they're in their worldview, if something bad happens to you, it must be because you've been a bad person. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore, <laughs> it's just... Sometimes people get a little confused. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. And so this week I was meditating on this passage, I spent some time just thinking about, about this passage, and, and it's got a lot that we could spend time talking about, and it's interesting because I, I was thinking about how, you know, we A, we see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, demonstrates his faith, right? And this is something that Jesus does. In the Gospels, Jesus will regularly stand up with, his, with people and preach the kingdom of God. And then he demonstrates the kingdom of God by healing people or casting out demons. He does all those things. Paul does the same thing. So it's proclamation and demonstration. There's word and works. And those two things are always happening in the Gospels. And Paul does the same thing here uh, on this island. And so I meditate on this passage, and I started to think a little bit about like the context, like I was wondering, you know, about these people on this island. And I also started thinking about their stories. Like we don't have all these stories. We just know that these, there was a bunch of people that came to Paul. But I was thinking about their stories and I was kind of curious. I wonder if there was anybody on the island of Malta that had cancer. I was curious if there was anybody there who suffered from depression, you know? Like depression is not just a, a uh, 
basically you know, modern day thing, right? I was curious, was there anybody who had depression there? Or, you know, perhaps there were people on that island who were struggling with loneliness, you know, just felt lonely. Um, and what about people on the island who, who suffered um, from untold acts and, and violences that happened to them that maybe caused them to, to lean into to alcohol or drug addictions? And I was just kind of thinking about that. I was like, I wonder about all these people. And, and so, you know, were there people on that island who suffered from any of those things? The answer is yes, right? Because these are human conditions. These are challenges that we face in the world that we have. And so it's interesting that, that Paul goes to this island and he, he's committed to something. He wants to see the people on this island experience something that's transformative. And here's what stood out to me. As I was thinking about about. Paul's model in ministry is Jesus. I started thinking about what were the commitments that Jesus had when he was here on earth? Well, like in Luke 4, we're told that he came preaching the kingdom of God, and that is why he was sent. And then the way that Jesus preaches the kingdom is he again speaks words, and then he demonstrates by works. So he says things, and then he does things. And we see the same thing here in Paul. So what is it that stood out to me about Jesus is this. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, we see that Jesus was committed to healing the whole person. He was committed to healing the whole person. And that includes mental, that includes physical, that includes emotional, and that includes spiritual concerns. And I I just think that as a a follower of Jesus, um, what would it look like if we as a church community had that same commitment to where we wanted to see the whole person restored to a place of intimacy with God? What would it look like if we all were pursuing healing for ourselves as well as healing for those around us that's holistic? So I think that if we're going to talk about healing, and if we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit, if we're going to talk about, about these things that have been so important for us as a community, we have to do so realizing that we need to be rooted in the same very commitment that Jesus was, holistic healing And I think this is what attracts people to Jesus in the kingdom of God. I mean, you see that in in this passage in Acts 28, right? Everybody comes out to get healed. They've they've heard the stories and they want to come out and experience the glory themselves. Let's stand up together. So, like, there's this story in John 4. We've read it a lot in our church community where... Jesus is traveling and he ends up at this well and this woman comes to get water and Jesus is like, hey, I know some things about you. And he tells her um, her whole life and then she's like trying to trick him and he's like, you can't trick me, I'm Jesus. And then she's like, okay, you are a prophet. And then it says that she leaves and she goes back to her Samaritan village and she tells everybody. She says, come and, come and meet the one that, that knew everything about me. Come and see him for yourself. And then we see the same thing in Acts chapter 28, where, where the people on the island, they, they see Paul, they, they witness him healing somebody, and then they all come out to experience it for themselves. And I was thinking about that all week. Like, what would it look like if we experienced healing for ourselves and then told other people? Like, I think that's the, that's the common way people come to faith, is they hear people's stories And then they want to experience it for themselves. And so here's what I want to do for just a few minutes. 
is I, I really feel like um, there is some holistic healing that can happen today in our community. And, and I was really prompted by the Lord this week to talk about, or just to kind of, I guess, remind us that it's not just physical healing. Like Jesus is, is concerned with all areas of our lives. It's not like God is like, I only care about your soul. Everything else I don't care about. Like God actually cares about every aspect of our lives. And so here, here's what I want to do. I, I'd love to invite you just to close your eyes if that helps you hear from God. So I think being in a posture to hear and to respond to him and maybe what he's doing right now would be good for us as a community. And so, Holy Spirit, I welcome your presence here with me. And we want to hear your, your voice and respond to your guidance now. Folks, just with your eyes closed, I just want to just kind of coach us a little bit. You know, I I think sometimes when we're standing and waiting, um, we are in a hurry. And I, I really do believe with all of my heart, though, that when we, as a community, when we have a group of people who are standing together and, and wanting to have God show up, one thing that I believe about who God is, I think he's very eager to show up for us. And we just have to be patient and waiting. And so, Lord, we welcome your presence and we do desire for your activity now. So our prayer, come Holy Spirit, is that you would be active right now. And so as we've been, you know, thinking more and more about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit lately. What we've been coming in contact with over and over again in, in the scriptures is that God is at work and God desires to work. And so in this room right now, I, I do believe that God wants to bring healing. He wants to bring his unique presence in a way that is tangible and that those of you who have needs, whether you know it or you don't even know it, God wants to respond to those and bring healing restoration, peace, and wholeness. And so this is what I would love to do. If, if you're here in this room right now and you have, you have anything that you would categorize in mental, physical, emotional, or spiritual areas that you, you need to experience healing and restoration, and we would like to have a space where we can respond to that. We, we would like to pray together. We would like to, to invite God's presence right now in a unique way to bring those things, to, to, to see the kingdom come. And so here's what I'm going to do. Just again, with everybody's eyes closed right now, this is a, a space for just you. Um, if you're here this morning and you would, you would say, yeah, I have some, some needs, fits into any of those categories, we would like to pray just for a few minutes here. And so if, if you would be so brave and comfortable, just I'd love to encourage you just to put your hand up right now, just as a sign to say, yeah, I need to receive some healing this morning. Just, just keep your hand up right now. 
Because, you know, what we're seeing over and over again in the Bible is that God is eager. He, he likes to respond. He's relational, and he is a God of love. So there's a, quite a few people with their hands up. And so here's what I'm also going to say. As a church community, we um, don't think that there are superstars, that there's no, like, professional Christians. There's just a bunch of broken people who need to have the Holy Spirit. And so we have this value in our, in our church community called everybody gets to play. And what we mean by that is that we believe the Bible teaches clearly that the Holy Spirit indwells every Christian. And so every Christian, every follower of Jesus has the power and presence of God. So like everybody in this room can actually pray for somebody and can actually be used by God to minister to them, to, to heal them. And so if you didn't have your hand up right now, but you're like, Maybe this, maybe this is a, a chance for me to get involved, to get in the game. I would love for you to help do that. And so here's what I'm going to do. If you're comfortable with this and you would like to receive prayer, I want to ask you to lift your hand up right now. Okay? And everybody else, if you'd be willing to just open your eyes and look around. And if you see somebody in the room, okay, there's a lot of hands. If you see somebody with their hand up, here's what I would like you to do. Is I'd like you to go walk up to them and just put your hand on their shoulder. Don't. Don't do anything else. Okay? you got to move around now. This is where the church gets to be the church. we got hands here. We have, okay. Uh, wife and husband can cover each other. Okay. Is there anybody else who, who, okay, we have a gentleman right there. Okay. Okay, so here's, here's what, what we do is um, Jesus, when he was asked how to pray, he told his disciples to pray that the kingdom would come. And so what we believe is that every time the kingdom comes, you can't have the kingdom without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we're just going to pray it now for the, for the kingdom to come. So just pray right now for that person. Say, Lord, would your kingdom come right now? Just pray those words. Just, Lord, would your kingdom come? Chad, you praying over there? Lord, let your kingdom come into Anthony's life right now. And now you can pray however you're led. If you, if you want to pray for healing, pray for healing. And so, Lord, I pray right now in this room that your presence and your power would be at work, that you would bring healing and restoration in every area of our lives. And, Lord, um, you would bring healing and wholeness in, in mental ways that our, our brains, the way we think, the way that we process, that our our feelings and and, um, the traumas and griefs that we've experienced, God, that you'd bring healing and forgiveness right now in the name of Jesus. Just keep praying wherever you're at. I checked recently, it's totally okay to pray in church. Just keep praying. Lord, would today be a day where those who have not experienced your presence, those who have never, uh, maybe haven't been able to recognize your work, 
Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that there would be a sense of your tangible presence and your tangible love in this room. That, that everybody in this room, Lord, would know how deeply loved they are. I pray that in the name of Jesus. I pray for spiritual reconciliation right now, that, that those who have, who have been caught up and have been wandering and have been struggling through life, Lord, I pray that, that right now, there would be an awakening in their hearts to respond to your invitation with the words of yes. And if you're here this morning and, and you, you have found yourself sitting in this room and you're kind of unsure as to why you're here, maybe you've never ever had an experience with God and you're kind of just like, what is going on? What I, I want love to to tell you is that, you know, as a church community, one of the things that we believe is that Jesus, who is the son of God, who came and, and lived on this earth um, 2,000 years ago, was perfect and, and sinless. He was God in the flesh, and he eventually was crucified on a cross, and he died on that cross for a reason. He died so that we can have a relationship with him. And so what the Bible teaches is that we can start our relationship with God and start this journey with him by believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and then was raised from the dead and now has promised to return. And so if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, we want you to know that that is, that is an opportunity and an invitation before you, and we'd love to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. And if you would like to do that, you can come talk to myself or or anyone else wearing a lanyard, or if they look like they might know something, go talk to them. That's also okay. Uh, and if you need a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. So Lord, I, I thank you for this space, and, and I thank you for what you're doing in this room. We, we thank you for, for your willingness to, to respond to the desires of our heart. And so we thank you for healing you. We thank you for the healing that has happened in this room right now. We thank you for the hope that has been placed and set into our hearts. We thank you more than anything for your love, God. Your unconditional, radical, gracious, merciful, truthful love. And I pray now, Lord, that as we transition from this, this place of gathering together to sing and to pray and to receive grace and to, to wrestle with the implications of the Bible and to think about how all these things apply into our lives. I pray that as we transition from this space, that we would go out and we would live as ambassadors of your kingdom. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, again, if you have kids, feel free to go grab them to relieve our kids workers and grab a cup of coffee and say hi to somebody.